You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So I want to rip through several things quickly. Um... I want to apologize about yesterday, but I probably already did that on Packernet After Dark, which hasn't been recorded yet. Don't worry about it. I'm just just sorting through some stuff in my own brain here. So anyways, uh, number one thing that I wanted to point out, very, very sad day um, for me, Sports Info Solutions, SIS, um, wanted to charge me another $1,000. And um, unfortunately, as much as I love it, and I've already tried to use it probably twice today, it's very hard to justify the limited usage we had last year, although it was a great supplemental tool and helped to aid in a lot of things and kind of fill in some of the blanks as far as PFF is concerned, it's very hard to justify $1,000 um, based on the amount of usage I would say we got out of it. Very, very useful tool. And if it was about the same price as PFF, probably be a done deal. But um, with that said, as of right now, SIS is no longer a part of the podcast, which makes me sad because I really thought that it was early, a little bit uh, later in the off season, early regular season that we had acquired that, but apparently not. So, so we do not have that anymore. But I want to start off with just a couple things because you know every once in a while I keep seeing things on social media and um, I kind of just ignore it because I figure it's not a big deal, and then I keep seeing it and keep seeing it and keep seeing it and keep seeing it. Um, so a couple things that I wanted to cover. First of all, um, Bears fans have been getting real, real chippy lately, and um, I want to just kind of address their situation. I want to cover all the NFC North teams. Uh, I want to get to the Vikings and to the Lions as well, but I haven't seen Vikings fans popping up. Maybe they're out there, and I just haven't really interacted with them much. I don't know. I don't even know what they think about their team. I have no idea their level of optimism or pessimism. I don't even know my level of optimism or pessimism with them. I generally think it's pessimistic because they feel like a team that's trying to be the 2011 Green Bay Packers just with less talent in that they're going to load up on offense and neglect the defense entirely. But again, I need to spend a little bit more time on that. Likewise, for the Lions, I think my, my general view is this is a team that has been just taking massive leaps every year, and this is the first year that it just didn't feel right. Now, granted, you can't just build in the trenches every single year, but this felt like they took, this was the final cherry on the top year. Like, this is the team, like the Eagles, who made it to the Super Bowl and just needs that running back, right? Because at that point, even I can kind of throw out the statistics and all that stuff and say, you know what, I get it. You know, you add that little running back behind the offensive line with the wide receivers, the quarterback, the defense. Dang, man, I get it. I get it. The Lions, though? I mean, if you don't want to build in the trenches anymore, fine. I mean, I think your defensive line could still use a ton of work. But cornerback, cornerback, Christian Gonzalez was sitting there? You desperately need a corner? No? Okay. They, they drafted as though they were a finished product, just like that plane, just landing, right? This is, this is our landing. Bro, you haven't even hit altitude yet. Why are you putting your landing gear down? You missed the playoffs. And again, you added a running back, but you subtracted two running backs, so maybe you broke even there. And then you added a linebacker, which you guys have taken t- 
tons of swing. Just like running back and linebacker, the, the Lions over the years have swung and swung and swung and swung and swung. And the Packers have done this too. Tight ends and linebackers and things and continually miss until finally it hits. And eventually it will. But I just, I just don't get it. But anyways, again, to be continued. With the Chicago Bears, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm choking on my own throat. The, the biggest issue I have with them is again, it's 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 the narrative, and it, and maybe it's stupid because I I I would love to maybe pin Bears fans down in terms of what they actually think of this team. Like, are are we talking playoff run, or are we just talking, hey, we're going to be better? We'll see how it goes. I don't know, but I I just feel like the way that this is being viewed, even by the national media, and we'll get to a Dan Arlovsky clip here in just a minute, but even the way that this is being viewed as far as how the team is built and what the team needs and needed, et cetera, et cetera. But there, there seems to be, an, 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 again, similar to what happened with the Jets when I talked about the Jets, I'm getting Packers fans swooping in and buying into this narrative as well. So essentially, and, and I almost feel bad for Bears fans because they're being lied to, and not only in their own bubble, same people that lied to them last year when they thought they were going to be better. And, and by the way, any Bears fan this year telling you that we all knew it was a rebuild, they started saying that midseason when the season collapsed. Nobody was saying that prior to the season. Rebuild maybe, or building, or this, that, or the other, but they all thought they would have like six, seven wins. They really liked their offensive line. They liked their wide receivers. At least thought they were significantly better than what the Packers had. They loved their, their defensive pieces, right? Deepest edge rush class in the entire NFC North. Loved their safeties, their rookie corner. They added a corner. They added a safety. Like, our DBs are going to be on fire. 32nd ranked defense, by the way, they had last year. They did not think that was going to happen. So the same people that lied to them last year and gave them hope are lying to them again. And again, it's not just their insular little Chicago news media, which there is a massive one. And they do tend to get pretty negative, but just like all Bears fans, they're very optimistic and positive generally in the preseason, at least about stuff they don't have information about yet. But it's the national media and people like Dan Arlovsky, who, by the way, said that uh, he, he, according to this video, thought that Justin Fields was in the MVP conversation last year and looked like an idiot. But, but again, he's the guy, he's one of the guys that are pumping up this narrative to help prop up the Chicago Bears. So just to give you an idea of what exactly is being said, I just want to play this clip because this is what everybody believes, including probably about half of Green Bay Packers fans in terms of if you could summarize the Chicago Bears, how would you sh summarize the Chicago Bears? Yeah, Justin Fields is going to be in the MVP conversation this season. Green, I said that last year and everyone mocked it. Okay, so... Yes, they did because it was stupid. And it's stupid for the same reason. But let's let him continue. Just to remind everybody at home, the Chicago Bears had the number one pick. Okay? They, they were... Yes, they did. Because they were terrible. Despite their MVP quarterback. They were terrible last year. The only reason that they were actually in games because of Justin Fields. That's entirely untrue, but I look forward to him backing that up with any form of data. Fast forward to this year. They're oh, I guess we're just going to fast forward. Okay. Manager Ryan Poles has done a couple things. Number one, this offensive line has gone from weakness to potential strength. The addition of Darnell Wright, Nate Davis they brought over in free agency. Um, Tevin Jenkins kicks inside. Number two. Okay. Tevin Jenkins was here last year, right? So that's not an addition. Uh, he also played inside a lot last year. So again, same thing. Um, so a couple things. Number one, is Tevin Jenkins a strength or a weakness? Because last year they were a liability. It feels like he would be a weakness. If he's a strength, then that means that they weren't entirely a weakness last year. And as I pointed out to some Chicago Bears fans, the Chicago Bears pass-blocking offensive line ranked 16th. It's not great. But they're constantly getting scapegoated as though they were the worst ever. By the way, Tevin Jenkins graded out phenomenally last year. Now, again, PFF is kind of stupid with their uh, emphasis on run blocking, which I don't understand. I'm sure there's a very good reason for it, but I don't know what it is. Tevin Jenkins primarily a very good run blocker. But even with that said, Tevin Jenkins graded as the third best guard in football last year. By the way, 75.4 grade for rookie Braxton Jones right? 19th ranked tackle last year. So I don't know. And, you know, Cody Whitehair wasn't great, but he had a 66th grade. The, the guard that they added, Nate Davis, he's a fine guard. He graded worse than the two guys that were on the line last year with a 70.6 grade. And Wright is a rookie. 
why is it we're just assuming again why do we get to pick and choose what we assume right jordan love is trash based on nothing darnell wright is going to be great he's just a lock right tackle ready to go what is lucas van ness then is he just a a, a lock top 10 pass rusher or, or what I, I don't understand how this works what 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 is it that we're allowed to assume and not assume by the way uh, Lucas Van Ness and Darnell Wright get into a fight. I'm talking, you know, on the outside this year. Well, who wins? Or is it a stalemate because they're both titans? Like, literal, uh, literally above the gods. I don't, I don't understand how this works. So, number one, they didn't improve their offensive line all that much. Um, number two, we're, again, we're assuming Nate Davis is good based on what he did last year. Now, he's been largely consistent, but... You know, he's 17th this past year, 25th the year before that, 16th the year before that. So kind of in that, I guess, 15 to 25 range among guards, which again is fine. Although who knows what's going to happen when you put him on a new team, new scheme, et cetera, et cetera. Plus, it's really hard to, I mean, you look at what Lucas Patrick, he completely fell off a cliff. He was a solid player for us. He went to zero fast. Now, if you think about it, the offensive line and the way that they play for Chicago is massively different because of the way Justin Fields plays. So we don't really know. Who knows? Maybe Nate Davis will be the number three guard in football. I, I have no idea, but that's the point. We don't know. And then again, they have a rookie. So number one, they weren't actually as bad as everybody makes them out to be. Number two, although I look at their offensive line and actually think they have a decent offensive line, which again, they kind of did last year. The majority of that de- decent offensive line is comprised of people that were good last year. In fact, uh, of the three worst, two of them are the additions. Right, potentially being the worst of the five. We don't know. We'll have to see. So the offensive line conversation is is an overplayed hand. Dude, DJ Moore, there's there's finally some decent talent on the outside that he's going to have the chance to throw to. All right. The DJ Moore thing drives me nuts, and this is a point that nobody seems to understand. Darnell Mooney in 2021 was a number one wide receiver, Right. He was basically as good as DJ Moore is in 2022. Darnell Mooney was a number one wide receiver that many Bears fans thought could take an additional step and become a top 10 wide receiver. Instead, he plummeted. DJ Moore is not a top 10 wide receiver. He ranked, I think, 34th last year in PFF, and he's gotten worse every single year. So... We don't know exactly what he's going to be, but he's never been what he's what he's being touted as in his entire career. He's a fine wide receiver. He graded out worse than Christian Watson last year and just marginally better than Darnell Mooney, who we all said fell off a cliff. Darnell Mooney had a 69 grade, DJ Moore 73.9. Mooney was 48th, Moore was 32nd. And and beyond that, it's all the same wide receivers. You have Mooney, you have Claypool, who was a who's a complete waste of space. They ended up spending um, pick 32 on him, which essentially is a first-round pick on Claypool. And, and, and this, is, this is exactly my point. When, when they got Claypool, that was a really good addition, right? Claypool in 2020 had a 75.5 grade, 36th ranked wide receiver. Then the next year, he went down a little bit. He went down to a 67.2, kind of going down every year, similar to what Moore is doing, Right. What happened to Claypool in year three? He plummeted even more. He dropped down to the 88th best receiver with the Bears, 61.8 grade. So does that mean we we can't just view him for what he's done in the past and assume that he's going to take a big step with Justin Fields? Yes, that's exactly what that means. Darnell Mooney and Claypool took a step back last year, both of them, with Justin Fields on the Chicago Bears. So even if DJ Moore stays exactly the same, he is barely a low-end wide receiver. Uh, wide receiver one. Barely. There's nothing wrong with DJ Moore. I think he's a good wide receiver. But the, the, the point is, everybody's overplaying their hand. You can't go from worst wide receiver group in football, nobody got open, complete trash, to this is a really good group because we have the exact same wide receivers as last year and tight ends as last year with the exception of one guy who is a low-end wide receiver one. That's not how that works. If you go from 32nd rank to what? 25th with DJ Moore? You don't go to top 10. And then three, the growth that he is going to have. Everyone continues to say, follow the Jalen Hurts model for the style. No. 
Justin Fields' season should look a lot like what Josh Allen's second season did that last half. I remember everyone talking about Josh. I think his last 11 games of his second season, he went for like 18 touchdowns and three picks. And you saw, uh-oh, it's starting to take off. That's what this season should look like from start to finish for Justin Fields. I'll say it again. He is going to be in the MVP conversation this year because he finally has the right people around him. I, I, I Again... A guard, a rookie tackle, and a low-end wide receiver number one is not... It doesn't make any sense to say that his entire season was sabotaged because everybody was so garbage. We added those three pieces, and now he has what he needs? How does that make sense? It doesn't make any sense. It, 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 either the pieces weren't actually that bad last year, or they really were that bad, and you did not do enough. There is no universe, there is no universe where the wide receivers and the offensive line are as bad as you describe, and we add what you said we added, and we get to where you say we got. The math is not even close to adding up, and I'm so sick of the Jalen Hurts and, and Josh Allen thing. I've said this a thousand times, you can't just say, well, because somebody else was bad and became good, therefore I look at my guy who's bad and say he must become good. If that was the case, every bad quarterback would become Josh Allen. The only, the only thing that's comparable between Justin Fields and Josh Allen is the fact that they were both really bad to start off their careers. And I've already looked at the stats. Josh Allen was significantly better. There are much better comps to Justin Fields, and none of them went on to be anything even close to Josh Allen. And all this talk about how his season ended on such a high note, they make it seem as though it was like... He started off the season in the 30s, and then it was the 40s, and then the 50s, and 60s, and 70s, and then it was like 80s and 90s to end the season. Absolutely not. That's not the case whatsoever. His final game against Detroit was a 45.8 grade. Two weeks prior to that was a 58. Two weeks prior to that was a 64. The only reason, if you look at his grades or whatever, that you would see some kind of a uh, increase is because his game week 13 against Green Bay, he had a 90.4 grade. Um, which, if you look at his passing, only one of only two games in which his passing was good. So yeah, he did end the season on a higher note. Week 13, he had an 82 passing grade. Week 16, he had an 82 passing grade. But that's it. His next highest was week 8, 63. He had two games in which his passing was graded as good. And that Buffalo game was one of the only ones where his, his passing grade, or his rushing grade, was actually bad. So the only game of the entire season... We had a passing and rushing grade that graded out as really good was against Green Bay Week 13. That's it. Otherwise, if you look at his passing, because we know he can run, his passing, 63, 62, well, let's, let's, let's go in order here. It was 34, 50, 48, 60, 56, 55, 62, 63, 58, 56, 59, 82, 49, 82, 31.7. It was actually his worst passing performance of the entire season is how he ended. So where do we see this uh, hockey stick shaped curve as far as Justin Fields is concerned. It's funny, I saw somebody show a uh, chart of Justin Fields. I think it was week 10 through week 17, which is weird because there's 18 weeks in the season, right? Probably because eight, week 18 was garbage. But let's look at it. Second half of the season-ish, right? Week 10 through week 18. Where is Justin Fields as far as his overall grade? I see Jordan Love is seventh. Uh, let's continue going down a little bit. Where... Is there's Rodgers at 22nd? Justin Fields. Oh, there he is, 26th. Overall, that includes his rushing grade, which was an 80.2. Overall, had a 26 grade. What about passing? Where is he at passing? Justin Fields. Boy, oh boy, I just can't seem to find the guy. It's Jordan Love is seventh again. There we go. Nice. Uh, let's see. Rodgers 20th. We got Nick Mullins. There's Jalen Hurts. Colt McCoy. Oh, Sam Howell, Bryce Perkins, Desmond Ritter. Oh, there he is, Justin Fields, 41st, he ranks, passing. Second half of the season. Maybe that's too long. Let, let's, let's condense that a little bit. Let's look at the last quarter of the season, right? We did with the Packers' defense. We look at the last quarter, and they were like the number three defense. Let's, let's really zoom in. The final, how he ended the season. All right, now is when we're going to really see it. Overall grade. Daniel Jones was at the top. He had a 91 rushing grade. That's kind of funny. Uh, let's see, we got the usual suspects, Burrow, Allen, Patrick Mahomes. Kenny Pickett's up there. I guess if you're going to have optimism about anybody, we should be talking about, isn't Kenny Pickett going to be the next Josh Allen? 
Weird we're not talking about that. I don't understand why we wouldn't talk about that. Justin Herbert, Trevor Lawrence, ba ba ba. There's Rodgers, 13th, the end of the season. Quite strong, um, I guess. Uh, let's see. Skylar Thompson, Andy Dalton, Malik Willis. Yikes. Joe Flacco. Where the heck is he? Jeff Driscoll, Sam Darnold, Tyler Huntley. Oh, there he is. 37th, he ranks. 37th. His passing grade is 45th. So, still ahead of Zach Wilson, though. He, he is consistent there. Stays right ahead of Zach, who is 50th. Good for him. Now, I, I don't. I, I, again, I, I'm just a little confused because Dan Orlovsky said if you look at the end of the season, he skyrocketed, right? Did this really, really good job. Um, let's see, what did he have the last quarter of the season? He had uh, uh, four touchdowns and a pick, which seems, I guess, kind of good. In terms of touchdowns, it would tie him in 16th place with Aaron Rodgers. But, um, you know, Josh Allen, who he's being compared to, threw nine touchdowns and three interceptions. So I don't know if he's exactly on Josh Allen's level to end the season. Big-time throw percentage, he ranks 39th. He had just one big-time throw the last uh, four weeks. He's, I mean, aside from the people with zero, I mean, he's the only one sitting at one, Deshaun Watson at two, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then yards, you know, I mean, 346 yards, ranks 33rd. Um, it's not exactly on the level of, you know, elite quarterback play, I would say. Josh Allen about doubled that at 729. Rodgers had uh, 831 yards the last four weeks. Justin Herbert had 1,033. Kirk Cousins had almost 1,200 yards just in the last four games. So I don't, I don't know exactly what area of his game to end the season is reminiscent of those top quarterbacks. And again, if we say, well, that's because of how bad everything was, we're just going back to the old argument of, yeah, he's bad, but he's going to be good when things get better, which is based on zero information because I'm looking at the information and I see nothing. Bad grades, bad stats. And again, as I've pointed out before, you say, well, yeah, but he was under pressure more than most people. Number one, that was primarily your own fault because the longer you hold onto the ball, the more the pressure is going to be able to get to you. But even that, your passing grades, when not under pressure, you rank 31st. So that's not good. But even still, the fact that Justin Fields ranks 56th in terms of... Uh, his abilities under pressure. That's out of 61, by the way. That's that's still a bad thing. I mean, it obviously means you're going to get better when there's less pressure like all quarterbacks, but what it also means is you're one of the worst quarterbacks under pressure of any quarterback. That's a really bad issue that doesn't usually correlate to I'm going to be like super elite in the NFL. For example, Sam Howell is actually the number one quarterback when he's kept clean. But he ranks 55th, just one spot ahead of Justin Fields, while under pressure, which is problematic because you look at it and say, man, if we can get this guy some help, Sam Howell could be elite. But everybody faces some form of pressure. By the way, again, if we're going to be optimistic about somebody, why would it not be Sam Howell? Number one quarterback while kept clean and slightly better than Justin Fields while under pressure? Why don't we put our chips on that guy or Kenny Pickett or any number of other young quarterbacks that seem to be better in all these metrics than Justin Fields? And of course, this doesn't even touch their 32nd ranked defense, which of course, you know, defense is volatile, but it's volatile insofar as we probably can assume that they won't be 32nd again, but I'm also comfortable saying they probably won't be a top 10 defense. So anyways, again, we, we, we really just need to make sure we're understanding the Chicago Bears rightly. Did they, I, and, and, and I'm, listen, I'm not even knocking the GM. I don't think he's doing a bad job. I think most of my critiques of the GM come from Bears fans over high, and this this is true of everything. I, I I want to support the DJ Moore thing because I think he's a great wide receiver. I think it was a good pickup by the Bears, but I can't support it because of the overhype. Right, you're overselling it. You're making it sound like he's a true elite number one wide receiver or top tier or whatever. He's barely a number one wide receiver, but he's good, and it'll be good to have him. Probably, maybe I don't know. Got to see how it turns out, but I mean, maybe is all we all, well, all we have on anything. You know, kudos for trying. You know, the Claypool thing was an absolute disaster, but I, I also appreciate that the Bears GM seems to be just doing the best possible thing available. We'll have to see. I mean, again, when you look at process, they certainly are not just trying to help Justin Fields, right? That first year they went out and got DBs. This year they got offensive line, but I, I, I'm guessing that was probably 
still a best player available. Plus, you're talking trenches, all that stuff. I don't have a, and I like Darnell Wright a lot. I mean, the Bears always draft guys that I like. Same with Rashawn and everything else. They, it's been going on for years that they have always drafted some of my favorite players. Some of them are complete busts. Some of them, whatever. I don't know, but still, that's just a thing that they always do. But I like Darnell Wright. And I and again, part of my whole issue here is saying I think the Bears' offensive line is actually kind of good. So it's not just dogging the Bears; it's it's correcting the view of the Bears. Well, you know, because the whole thing is we must defend Justin Fields at all at all costs, rather than just acknowledging what is and what isn't. The offensive line wasn't that bad. The wide receivers certainly were, but we should acknowledge the fact that they weren't supposed to be, and something went wrong. And we're making the same mistakes this year as we did last year, when last year everybody assumed Darnell Mooney was a great wide receiver and had top 10 potential. Right? Okay. The next thing I want to talk about, and I I don't exactly know what's going on, but I keep seeing conversations about rebuild, and I know it has something to do with... I I, I guess I don't know. I'm not entirely sure, but... There seems to be a lot of heated debates about whether the Packers are rebuilding. And I, and I let's, listen, I put it out there. I posted it on social media, and, and it was a very simple question. What part of the roster needs to be rebuilt? I basically didn't get any answers. So I don't know who's debating what. I saw somebody say the entire defense needs to re- be rebuilt. I mean, just, okay, I, I guess. And, and the wide receivers and tight ends all need to be rebuilt. Now, I think a lot of this comes down people are saying it's semantics. It's, I, I don't know about semantics. I think it's about people not understanding what they're talking about. I mean, we can call it semantics if we want, but people like to say semantics just to throw it away and say, I can say whatever I want. No, you, you, don't, you can't say whatever you want. Rebuild is a very specific thing. If I build something and you say we need to rebuild it, what does that mean? It means we have to start over. If somebody builds a house and there is something wrong, you know, foundationally or whatever, and they say, we got to rebuild this whole freaking thing, what does that mean? I mean, to me, it seems pretty straightforward what rebuild means. You have to build it again, build it all over again. So when I ask the question, what part of the roster needs to be rebuilt and nobody can answer it, I don't understand where, how this is even a debate. What needs to be rebuilt? Well, the safeties. Okay. So one position group needs to be rebuilt, that means the team is in a rebuild mode? If that's the case, the Packers have been rebuilding every single year in their entire existence, with maybe the exception of 1996? What are we, I'm, I'm serious, what are we talking about here? What, what, what is this discussion even about rebuilding? And, and then we get all the condescending nonsense about, okay, well, you can't accept the fact that the Packers maybe are going to struggle this year. I, we're not talking about struggling. Do you understand the English language? If you want to ask me... If the team may struggle because they're young, then you can ask me that. But you can't just say something that's entirely wrong and then just make up something else. Do you think chickens can fly? No, I don't. Well, if you don't think cardinals can fly, you're a freaking idiot. You need to grow up. Whoa, 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 whoa. What? That's literally what's happening. Do you think the Packers are rebuilding? No, they're not rebuilding. Well, if you don't think they're going to struggle, then you're, then you're just being a biased idiot. This is, this, as far as I, I've been searching and scouring social media, and this is the level of competence that I've seen as far as this debate goes, which doesn't seem to be much of a debate. It seems like people just like to throw words around without having any understanding what the words mean, and then just getting sensitive about it when people disagree with them. And when they can't back up their claim anymore, they just start saying nonsense. Well, you're just being biased, and you, you don't acknowledge that they may struggle because they're young. Of course I acknowledge that. What are you talking about? That wasn't the question. Does the quarterback room need to be rebuilt? No, we have a quarterback. Well, you don't know if he's good. So what? That has nothing to do with the question. Are we active? Do we need to actively seek out a new quarterback? No. Offensive line, does it need to be rebuilt? No. It can be upgraded, and we need to focus on potentially replacing David Bakhtiari in the future, but it does not need to be tore down and rebuilt. They have an offensive line. Wide receivers. Do we need to tear down and rebuild? Does it need to be rebuilt? We need new wide receivers. We need to replace Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs and some more. No? Okay, then it's not being rebuilt. What it sounds like to me is the house was already rebuilt and we're just waiting for the paint to dry. And you're saying, well, we need to rebuild it. No, we don't need to rebuild the freaking house. You need to wait for the paint to dry, Jagoff. Get out of here with your freaking bulldozer. What are we talking about? Rebuild. What needs to be rebuilt? Bears fans, you're in a rebuild. You can't accept it. Tell me what needs to be rebuilt. I'll bet you $100 that the Bears are better. Okay, great. Congratulations. What needs to be rebuilt? 
Answer the question. Well, I did. I, I answered you by, by betting you. Oh, you didn't. You didn't answer me. It's a very simple question, and anybody can look at the roster and answer it. Nobody can answer it. Nobody. Not a single Bears fan, not a single Packer fan, aside from one guy whose name is NFL Takes. And his take was, tear down and rebuild the entire defense, wide receivers, and tight ends. That's amazing to me. Tight ends need to be rebuilt. we got to get rid of Musgrave and Kraft and, and uh, DeGuara and find some new guys. No, probably not. Do we need new running backs? No. Do we need a new kicker? Technically, no. We just drafted one. He may need to be replaced in the future. We don't know. But we don't need to rebuild the specialty. We got a punter. We got a kicker. We got a couple return guys. Defensive line. Wyatt, Slayton, Clark, Wooden, Ford, Carl Brooks. Again, I don't know where these guys are going to play. I'm just going off of our lads. We'll just adjust it as needed. And again, maybe we could add something is different than rebuilding. Rebuilding is we have a core of guys that are no good. And what the Bears have been doing is rebuilding. We have a team. None of these guys are our future. That's not the case. Devontae Wyatt is the future. Kenny Clark's still technically the future. He's still going to be around for a while. TJ Slayton, future. Colby, Jonathan Ford, Carl Brooks, future. Pass rushers, Rashawn Gary is the future. Preston Smith, short term, but future. Lucas Van Ness. There's not a bunch of guys that are placeholders that need to be eventually replaced and, and with actual players that we want on this team put in there. That's not the situation we're in. Linebacker, no. Corner, no. Safety, yeah, probably. Darnell Savage, Tarverius Moore, Rudy Ford. Now, maybe not for I don't I don't know. Tavarius Moore, Darnell Savage, probably placeholders. Rudy Ford, potentially a placeholder. Anthony Johnson, we haven't seen yet, but he was a late round guy. He's a seventh round guy, so I, I I I can't imagine that we're seriously going to expect him to be a starter. But if he is, great. But as it stands now, yeah, I think that most of these guys are placeholders until a later date when we're actually able to find real starters that will come in and um, you know rebuild this room. That's it. It's the only position on the entire team that needs to be rebuilt. There is no discussion, right? So you can say semantics all you want, fine. But now that we've understood the semantics, stop saying it. Because if you understand it now and you keep saying it, it's not a semantics issue. It's you saying the Packers need to be rebuilt just so that you get to be negative and then you want to just, you know, fluff it away as, as, as though it's semantics. No, it's you lying. You fully understand what it means now. So you either believe that it needs to be rebuilt and need to be able to back that up, or you don't believe it and you're lying because you know it carries more of a negative connotation to it. Their roster is set. Offense, defense, and special teams. It needs to grow, they need to learn, and we'll see how good they're going to be. But that is nothing to do with rebuilding. The team has been rebuilt. Right? The wide receiver room was already rebuilt. The tight end room has been rebuilt. Right? The teardown and rebuild, it already took place. The wide receiver room, tear down, rebuild. It's done. Just like that. Boom. Snap of the fingers. It's done. There was, there was like a two-month window where there needed to be a rebuild, and it's already done. And the only thing left that I can see is safety. So with, with that said, what can you say about the... Because, again, the, the, there seems to be a lot of questions. Even, and, and here's the other thing. People even take the opposite, sta- the, the rebuild stance too far. By saying that we know that this team is not ready to compete right now. No, we don't. We don't know anything. That's the whole point. This roster could be complete garbage. And, and again, we're, we're, we're narrating way too much. We know that they're not good now, but they're going to be primed for success in the future. We don't know that either. This team could be on a playoff run this year. This team might never be set for a playoff run because this entire core of new guys that we got are all trash, including Jordan Love. We are not rebuilding. We have already rebuilt. Now we have to see how good the pieces are that we rebuilt this house with. Any narrating beyond that, oh, you're just, you're just being blind if you think the Packers have a chance. No, I'm not. I mean, I am blind. But that's the point. I can't see where we're going. In order to answer the question of how bad they're going to be and how they're going to miss the playoffs this year, you would have to be able to answer the question of how good is Jordan Love going to be? How good is Jaden Reed going to be? How good is Christian Watson going to be? How good is the offensive line going to be? How healthy is the team going to be? How good is Romeo Dobbs and Samori Ture and, and, and Tucker Craft and, and Lucas Musgrave? How good are they all going to be? How good are our running backs going to be? What is the offense going to look like scheme-wise? Is it going to be a better uh, an improvement or, or is it going to be worse? Are they going to get off to a fast start or a slow start? If they get off to a slow start, they might end the season hot and still not have enough juice to get into the playoffs. If they get off to a fast start, who's to say they can't get into the playoffs? And then at that point, why can't they go on a run? 
What can you tell me about the defense, by the way? That's a major component to this that we have all the pieces to and have already seen, and we don't know how good they're going to be. We don't know how good technically the special teams is going to be, although we're confident about it. You never know. They could certainly regress. Maybe Keyshawn Nixon was just a little flash in the pan thing that isn't going to replicate. What does that mean for the team? The the, the, the constant, the amount of people that want to jump into, you know, comments of mine to say, come on, man, you got to be realistic about these things. You know they're not going to be a playoff team this year. No, I don't. Just like you don't know in three years they're going to be a great team. All this stuff is just made up nonsense. You're making all of it up. Now, if you want to say, I tend to think it's unlikely because they're young and they need to kind of learn to grow together, and so although I'm, I'm optimistic maybe in a couple of years they could be something, I think it would be too much of a tall task to expect them to do it this year. That's a more reasonable take. But to, to, to try to take the high ground and say, oh, come on, you know. No, I don't, and neither do you. I don't know this isn't the best team in the NFC, and neither do you. I don't know this isn't the worst team in the NFC, and neither do you. But what I do know is that we're not rebuilding. What I do know is that the team is already the, the areas that needed to be rebuilt have already been rebuilt with the exception of safety. That's it. It's already been rebuilt. Again, I don't think this needs further explanation, but but let me try one more time. When you build a house, you do it with what? Materials, right? Wood planks or whatever the heck. Fabricated sections of a house. When you look at the team, do you see the old wood or the new wood? If it's new wood, that means it's already been rebuilt. Watson, Dobbs, Reed, Dontavian Wicks, Grant DeBose, Samori Ture. Is that wood from the old house or is that the new house? It's the new house. Just because you don't know if this house is going to stand doesn't mean that we need to rebuild it. This is the rebuilt house. It's the dumbest discussion ever. So anyways, again, I don't know how this conversation got started. And I don't know. It's one of those things that should have just died instantly. One person says it, everybody says, no, you're an idiot, and then we just move on with our lives. But apparently it's a big thing. It's funny, too, because all I see are the reactions to the discussion, but I don't actually see the discussion. And again, even when I post about it, nobody seems to want to have the discussion. So maybe it was never that big of a thing. It was like a tiny thing, and then the reactions became like the thing. I don't know. It's like the cool thing to be like, I don't care about this or whatever. I don't know. But anyways, you officially know my stance on it. And... um Again, that's that's about as straightforward as it gets. Why don't we go ahead and take a break? If you'd like to support the show, I would appreciate that. You can do so over at patreon.com forward slash pack underscore data. Also, please consider giving to Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry. You can find their um, mission over at fertilegroundranch.org. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. All right, let's get into some good stuff here. Um... There was an article that um, kind of surprised I haven't seen a ton about. There's more about uh, Rebuild than there is about this article. But Sports Illustrated recently wrote an article. This is written by Albert Breer. Um, he was talking about the behind-the-scenes look at this entire trade situation that went down with Aaron Rodgers. Now, of course, there's a lot of stuff in here that is... Um, Filler, usually when they do these big things, they're, they're usually great articles, but every single one of these is really, really long. 
Um, and so you got to read the whole thing because there's a ton of great information mixed in with a whole bunch of stuff that everybody already knew and doesn't need to be repeated. But it does start off um, kind of cool. Just, again, behind-the-scenes stuff. Apparently, like at midnight on the second of the legal tampering window, um, Aaron Rodgers' agent reached out to head coach Joe Douglas, or excuse me, GM Joe Douglas for the Jets and said, quote, hey, man, I know it's late out there. Aaron wants to be a Jet. Now, right out of the gate, it was interesting to me because, again, the dynamics of the Jets I find are interesting, um, largely because, for me, it centers around the owner. I don't think anybody, aside from Packers fans, thinks that the owner is a good thing. Jets fans hate their owner, Woody Johnson, with a passion. They think he ruins everything. He's a complete disgrace and everything else. But Packer fans that insist we should have an owner are the only ones that, that don't seem to understand this. But it was funny to me because immediately there, they said it was, it was you know, midnight, so you know, his, his family's sleeping or whatever. He couldn't do anything, so he stayed up. He couldn't scream because, you know, whatever. But he, he sent out some text messages. Who did he inform about this situation? The first text, Robert Sala, the head coach. And then team president, Jaime El High. The owner? No. Didn't get a text. Now, maybe it's one of those, you know, hey, don't bug the owner at this time. But that just shows his disconnect. The people that need to know knew. He didn't bother to even tell the guy until um, presumably the next morning. It was a few days later. He went on Pat McAfee's show. They said that was when their head coach actually felt like it was real because nobody had actually heard anything aside from what Joe Douglas had told them. So it's still kind of like one of those, I don't know if I believe it. Then he goes on Pat McAfee. He tells the whole world he intends to be a Jet, and that's when it felt real for the head coach and some of the other people. Goes on to talk about how, you know, this started back when both teams obviously ended in failure, and so they both needed to figure out what direction they were going in. The Jets immediately decided we're going to go find a veteran, and they talked to Zach Wilson about it, and he essentially was fine with it, because what else are you going to do? Be like, no, dude, I insist on starting. Come on. And for the Packers, it was a question of, you know, what, what, what do we do? I mean, obviously there's risks in moving on, but whatever. It says the latter, being the Packers, would have to make a decision about whether to continue on the aggressive win-now path that his incumbent quarterback helped carve. A little bit further down, it says, From there, Green Bay's brass went into personnel meetings to assess the roster and set out a plan for 2023. After two years of mortgaging contracts to keep the team together, again, this is what all-in is, whether you like it or not, and pursue a second Lombardi trophy with Rodgers, the Packers were over-leveraging on their salary cap. And unlike the two seasons before, uh, back-to-back, 13 win campaigns they finished the regular season in the middle of the nfl not at the top of it with big overarching questions looming should we turn over the roster should we be letting our younger guys play everyone in the room knew the bigger implications of making such decisions whether it was said explicitly or not the players they were talking about guys like receiver randall cobb and tight end robert tunyon and mercedes lewis were players rogers was close to and guys rogers liked to have around Guys, he felt enhanced his performance simply by having them in the right place mentally. Having him, Rodgers, in the right place mentally. Which meant that saying goodbye to those players could mean saying goodbye to Rodgers too. Now, I don't know how much of this is speculation or, or where all this detailed information is coming from. Right, This may just be narration from Albert Breer based on his current understanding. But, but the implication of these words, to me, is pretty massive. First of all, the two questions. Should we be turning over our roster? Should we be letting the younger guys play? Now, I have been talking for years about my frustration with young guys not playing. All of us have. And the general consensus for me was this is just how the Packers operate. They like to let the veterans play because they have a better understanding of of the team. What I guess I didn't fully think through was the idea that this is largely based on their all-in mentality. In other words, they're stunting the growth of their future players which is stunting the growth of their future to try to maximize on now because we don't want to bring some guys along right now and focus on their growth when we could be focusing on the best possible way to win this exact moment so lazard plays over christian watson and cobb plays over you know romeo dobbs i mean that's not a a direct court but you get what i'm saying even even the whole um stunting of the growth of uh you know the guy, Amari Rogers, right? They, they were never going to let him play as soon as Randall got in there. And it's not because they didn't want to develop him or anything like that. It's just because Randall's here. We're obviously not going to bench him because he's Randall Cobb and Aaron Rodgers insists on it. But on top of that, we, we can't have a developmental guy out there when we're trying to win this game right now today. All that to say, with Rodgers gone, who on one hand was driving the I want these guys out there, not those guys, 
Because, again, you go back to the part where it says these guys were on the team partially to help Rodgers be ready mentally. That goes out the window. But on top of that, the Packers taking a, a different approach. Even if they did want to go all in now, the only thing we have are younger guys. But the point is, expect the younger players to play more. Because this is about we drafted them, we need to develop them. Period. Yes, we're trying to win now. You're always trying to win now, to some degree. But there are little micro decisions that are being made that are maybe, again, on a sliding scale between helping now and helping later. They're going to move toward helping later. So playing for, I mean, wide receiver is kind of a bad example because we don't have anybody to beat young guys anymore. But look at, for example, Lucas Van Ness. Playing him more is going to be to his benefit and to the team's benefit overall maximizing his value by playing him early as opposed to sitting him now is that going to help us the most in this particular game wouldn't it be better to just let him sit and watch while Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith do the the bulk of the work again it may not be a great example because it's a relatively even rotation between one two and three and four plus they'll be mixing and matching and all that stuff but just let let's drop the names and just look at it from that standpoint we still expect you to go out there and, and help us win this game, no question about it. That's not a lie. But even if it's a slightly better chance of us winning now today by putting in the veteran that knows, we want to lean more toward the young guys to get them that experience. Again, the, the part about Rodgers likes having these guys around, he felt it enhanced his performance simply by having them in the right place, having him in the right place mentally. Again, I don't know how much of this is just narration that he's just kind of making up based on what he thinks is the situation or how much of this is direct information. But again, it goes to, you know, all the pissing and moaning about we didn't get new guys. What if that had more to do with Rodgers than Gutekunst? Just look at the two situations now between the Jets and the Packers. The Packers are loading up with weapons now that Rodgers is gone. The Jets are loading up with all of Rodgers' friends and have, quote-unquote, neglected to get him help. It's interesting how the Packers suddenly are not afraid to go out and get help, and the Jets are, are suddenly a team that prior in prior times went out and got Garrett Wilson and all this stuff, but now suddenly they can't find it in themselves to go out and get help and are, and are instead surrounding him with Alan Lazard and Randall Cobb, and they tried to go out and get Mercedes Lewis, Right? Can we even have that discussion? Maybe that had something to do with this situation? And not just because he strong-armed him and said, do not draft a wide receiver, because obviously that's not the case, but why would you bother doing it if Aaron Rodgers doesn't feel comfortable with them and wants his guys out there with them, and you're going to end up with guys getting stunted growth? How pissed off was Brian Gutekunst about drafting Amari Rodgers just to have Aaron Rodgers insist on going out and getting Randall Cobb, knowing that this guy's never going to play? He's going to sit and he's going to rot. And then we'll put him on special teams, where he's terrible just to get him out on the field, and then everybody's going to hate him, and his confidence goes through the floor, and then we end up cutting him. Great. Why would that guy go out and get more wide receivers just to watch him rot on the bench? And then it goes on to talk about the Jordan Love equation. Again, a lot of people love to point out how bad he was in college as, as evidence that this guy is never going to be good, when obviously the discussion is centered around how much growth has there been over the years. That is the only discussion that has been there. Nobody's looking at his college tape in 2019 and saying, therefore, you know he's going to be great. Obviously, he needed a lot of development. That was the case when he came out of college. That was his case when he was here in his first year in 2020 during that COVID year when he basically got no work. But goes on to say, Green Bay's previous doubts about love had slowly been melting away. So even there, it talks about how the Packers were kind of nervous when he first got in, like, they had doubts, but they have been slowly melting away. Both of those things, by the way, have articles that cite where he's getting this information from. Sports Illustrated article, Monday uh, afternoon quarterback Packers, blah, 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 draft fallout uh, from May 3rd of 2021. And then uh, 2022 is the article about the slowly melting away thing. But it says they were impressed by how he handled starting against the Chiefs in 2021. This is another thing that everybody points to that as a, an example of how bad he is. The Packers and a lot of other people were really impressed with that situation. It says they loved how he was able to jump in on two days' notice, handle an unexpected barrage of zero blitzes from Kansas City, endure the physical beating it led to, and keep his head about him through a resulting rough start to that game. He made progress with his pre-snap and pro-snap commands in camp in 2022. And with having his eyes on the right, uh, in the right places too, and ascended with six weeks of first-team practice reps, while Rodgers managed a broken thumb in the fall. So, anyways, so that's it. So now that that was the Packers' path, right? They had they looked at the two paths and they decided, you know, we probably need to go in another direction. Like we like Love, 
We need to get out of this situation with all these old players. And and also, by the way, notice how he phrased how he phrased. And, and it, maybe this isn't the case, and they just want uh, Rogers gone. That's how um, McGinn phrased it and everything else. But he looked at it from a standpoint of we're in cap hell, and Randall Cobb needs to go, Mercedes Lewis needs to go, Alan Lazard needs to go, Robert Tunyon needs to go. These guys have to go. And if they go, we know Rogers follows them. That was how Albert Breer phrased it. And then beyond that, you have the growth of Jordan Love, which kind of pointed only in one very obvious direction. Okay, so from there, it talks about this whole thing where Brian Gutekunst tries to get a hold of Aaron Rodgers. However, it's not in any way the way that it's been portrayed to us, at least from, especially from the Aaron Rodgers situation in terms of, you know, hey, I, I just, uh, you know, I get bad reception. Here we go. Ready? It says, the two set up a Wednesday meeting in Los Angeles in late January while Gutekunst was in town for the NFLPA Collegiate Bowl. That one didn't happen. So notice what it said. They set up a meeting, and then it says it didn't happen. It has nothing to do with cell phone reception. There was a meeting in place, and Rogers didn't go. Then it says Gutekunst had to go to Las Vegas the next day for the East-West Shrine Bowl, and the idea that he could return from there to California to meet Rogers was broached. Broached, meaning he he brought it up to them. Hey, I'm going to be back in Las Vegas. I could hop on a plane and be in California, right? Going out of his way. Not, not I called and he didn't answer. He got in contact, said, I'm going to be in Las Vegas. I'm close. I can hop on a little puddle jumper, head over to Los Angeles, and we can have a little conversation. It says, but that didn't happen either, making the exit meeting the last time they talked. So this wasn't just simply Gutekunst calling and it went to voicemail, which again, the whole thing is stupid to begin with, because even if that's the case, you know there's voicemails there that he got. You know that there are missed calls on his phone that he got. The whole thing is not, on top of everybody else saying David Dunn and everything else saying, hey, Gutekunst wants to get a hold of you. It's all garbage because they had set up meetings, right? Gutekunst, even if he's not talking directly to Rogers, there was a meeting set up and ready, but it didn't happen. Then Gutekunst raised the idea of, hey, maybe I can meet with Rogers at this time. That didn't happen either. What does that mean? It means because it was raised and the communication got to them, that means if, at the very least he talked to David Dunn, said it to him, Dunn talked to Rogers, and Rogers said no. So again, this, has, this, is, this is stupid. He got the information and he said no. He declined meetings with Brian Gutekunst. It says, meanwhile, just before then, Gutekunst quietly started to gauge interest in Rodgers from people he trusted with other teams, careful both in whom he talked to and how he phrased the question. It went something like this. I don't know if he's going to play or retire or play with us or someone else, but just so I know, if he wants to move on, would you be interested? Now, that's very important. And and by the way, I, I, I'm 95% sure that this article is almost entire almost entirely if not entirely coming from the jets side of things and so i have a, i'm assuming that this conversation got to albert breer from the jets side in other words this is what gutekunst said to them now this whole thing about aaron Rodgers, he, he got upset because the packers were shopping him are you out of your freaking mind does this sound like shopping he just said i listen i don't know what the guy's gonna do but just on the off chance that he says he wants to go somewhere else i'm just curious i just need to know who's who's interested and who's not would you be interested this is not, we're going to move on. How much would you give us? This is, I don't know what he's doing because the guy will not talk to me. But if he emerges from his hole, literally, and says he wants to go somewhere else, I would just like to know what options are available. Where do you stand on that? So that's nonsense, the shopping thing. Goes on to say the Jets were interested in this. So yes, the Jets were interested in getting more interested by the day. And, and immediately you start to see how things are going negative for the Jets. Just from the outset about the level of excitement, the jumping up and down, the backflips, the cheering, the celebrating, and of course that even leaked out publicly, which ended up, of course, working against them. But it says that when, when Douglas said that he was interested, Gutekunst and Douglas went to work. Um, Douglas and Gutekunst started the feeling out process and the parameters of a trade. It says the Packers initially wanted a return in the neighborhood of what Detroit got for Matt Stafford, two firsts and a third. The Jets didn't want to give up a single first-round pick, let alone two, given that they had no assurances Rodgers would play more than a year. And both organizations were led by men, Jets owner Woody Johnson and Packers president Mark Murphy, who were part of and marked by the last blockbuster quarterback deal made between these two franchises. And then it talks about the Brett Favre thing and how both parties were kind of unhappy with how that turned out. But then it goes on a little further to say, um, failing to talk directly with Rodgers, Gutekunst had begun to work directly with Dunn on the situation and communicated the Jets' interest. While emphasizing that if there was going to be a split, the Packers wanted it to be cordial, Dunn agreed, and near the end of the combine, got back to Gutekunst with an answer. So, what does that tell you? 
I don't know for sure, but when Aaron Rodgers comes out and says, I'm hearing that the Packers are shopping me, who did he hear it from? His agent. Because Brian Gutekunst tried to tell him in person, he didn't answer his phone, so he told his agent. I hear that they're talking about me. Yeah, I know. You would have heard it directly from Gutekunst if you pick up your freaking phone. It says, Douglas got back to Jersey from Indianapolis on March 5th. That night, Gutekunst called Douglas. It looks like Aaron wants to explore an opportunity with you guys, Gutekunst told Douglas. We're going to give you permission to talk to him. So it's cool because it's it's interesting to kind of see it in action and kind of know how it went down. But we, we kind of know that this is what happened, right? It says their GM immediately called Sala and Elhai, again, not the owner, and the three agreed to meet that Monday morning, March 6th, to map out the rest. It's just weird to me because it's the owner, Woody Johnson, who reaches down and says, no, we're not doing this, and yes, we're doing this, yet he's not even getting phone calls about the situation. Plus, when the meetings are happening on how to do things, he's excluded. The three of them, the GM, the head coach, and the president met to, to hash these things out. The owner was not even invited to the freaking meeting. Another interesting thing is it does sound like actually Rodgers was in New York not to meet with the Jets. That was a coincidence because it says that they just found out he had left uh, New York to go to California and they didn't want to ask him to fly all the way back. So they, they had agreed to go out there. So the three of them flew out. The owner was in Florida, so he took a plane from Florida to Cali. And then his brother, the owner's brother, the vice chairman, Christopher Johnson, would fly in from Colorado. By the way, the brother, Christopher Johnson, I think is a guy that Jets fans trust more than Woody. He said they kind of went in without a plan. They just wanted to get to know the guy a little bit. He said they brought an iPad just in case he had any questions about the roster or any art, any, uh, you know, he wanted to see any cut-ups of the players. They said they never used the iPad. It says meeting details would be kept quiet outside of a couple broad takeaways. One was that the Jets left the summit with the idea that Rodgers wanted to play football in 2023, not based on anything he said, but the passion that was still so clearly there, how prepared he was in knowing the Jets roster and situation inside and out, and how he talked about teammates and coaches as they discussed a hypothetical plan. The other was that Dunn showed up with takeout, which in a way encapsulated the informal nature of the whole thing. That's kind of a weird take. Said it lasted about four hours. Everybody felt good. Then when he was doing that flag football thing, it's it's funny too when when they give the timeline because we we see these things. Remember that uh, flag football thing where he talked with Brandon Marshall, I think it was talking about the Jets and all that kind of stuff. It says he had talked with uh, General Manager Joe Douglas about. Um, is that right? I thought he was already a Jet at that point. Anyways, it doesn't matter. Maybe it was a different charity thing. But he had talked with the GM, and the GM said he he didn't really know what was going on, but he he. Uh, got the impression that it was either the Jets or retirement, and he sounded like a guy that really wanted to play. They said 24 hours after Joe Douglas and Rodgers had that conversation that he felt good, Carr signed with the Saints. They said that was their number one plan B if Rogers, the Rodgers thing didn't pan out. So that really sucked. It says, um, with Carr signed and the legal tampering window fast approaching, the stakes were raised. Then Dunn's call came. So that brings a full circle to the beginning of this thing. Talks about the the uh, Pat McAfee thing, which is kind of funny because I, I guess from my standpoint and probably a lot of other people's standpoint, the assumption is the teams already know what's going on, right? We're, we're just slowly being let in. That's not the case at all. The Jets had no idea. I mean, they, they had gotten a phone call, but they didn't really know what was going to happen, especially on the Pat McAfee show. My contention, again, was that this was a coordinated thing. It absolutely was not. They said that there were four guys, the GM and a bunch of other guys, PR guy and whatever. They, they huddled around in his office to watch the Pat McAfee show. There was a weird thing where the power went out, but it's kind of irrelevant. But the, the, the funny thing is the room cheered when he made that announcement, but they could also hear cheers and screaming up and down the hallways as other people were cheering. So the, the Jets staff was cheering to hear Aaron Rodgers say he wants to be a Jet. That's just crazy to me. But it says, Douglas then went back to work knowing that he had Gutek uh, he and Gutekunst had already taken a step toward a trade. With the Packers having moved off their insistence on the 13th pick and the Jets having come off their stance that a first-round pick shouldn't be included regardless of the year it came in. The problem at this point was that Rodgers' appearance on McAfee didn't do much to make the Packers move any further than they already had, and for about a week after, things got quiet. It says, in the days leading up to the owners' meeting, Douglas and Gutekunst reopened talks, with Douglas at the office in Jersey and Gutekunst traveling to pro days. As talks intensified, the GMs talked more consistently. Their discussions at that point were centered on two-and-one concept, where the Packers would get a second rounder in 2023 and at least a chance to get a first in 2024. So it's, it's again, as people said, that was it. It was just how is it going to be structured. Then my favorite part of the entire article. Here, here it is. 
Before the meetings, the Packers GM sent a list of four proposals to Douglas with a simple message. Pick one. Each was centered on the Jets' 2024 first-rounder with no conditions attached to it. A couple proposed a pack, the Packers send a second-rounder in 25 back to the Jets if Rodgers didn't play for them in 24. Douglas returned the volley by asking for tweaks to each proposal with his owner balking at the idea of sending a hard number one to Green Bay under any circumstance. Gutekunst responded that the list was sent to try to close a deal, not to reopen negotiations. Meaning what? Gutekunst sent a list of four options and said pick one. Joe Douglas picks up the phone. He's like, hey, man, I was looking at some of this. I was thinking we should maybe we, maybe, maybe we could kind of tweak this or that. And Gutekun said, oh, excuse me. Maybe you misunderstood me. I said, pick one. This wasn't a negotiation. These are your options that you get to choose from. This is not a negotiation. But anyways, but at this point, you know, they had talked in Arizona at the owner's meeting. They, they both knew that they were very, very close, but they just didn't quite have everything hammered out, which again, many people were reporting that. Of course, many people were reporting the opposite of that too, but later on it says, the real deadline, the draft was coming. While the Jets were willing to wait and go for as long as it took, they knew the Packers would be more difficult to deal with after the draft when the idea of including a 2023 pick would be off the table, and they were right about that. Green Bay did view the draft as a real drop-dead date. So again, they go back and forth. They're, They're just really stuck on, they're close, but they're really just stuck on some things. Skipping through some of the things that they're stuck on, It says, the Jets had earlier proposed an AFC title game protection, meaning the pick could be no higher than the 29th. Then a divisional round, no higher than the 25th, or playoff, no higher than the 19th, to trigger moving uh, the pick from the first round to the second. By this point, they were down to trying to uh, trying tying it to a combination of playtime and wins. But the Packers weren't budging. While they were willing to uh, give the Jets injury insurance, they weren't moving on from the kind of performance insurance that left them shorthanded in the Favre trade 15 years ago. And even then, there was some back and forth. Gutekunst wanted the playtime marker at 50%, and Douglas wanted it at 90%. The two settled on 65. Which, I don't know, I'm not too good at the math, but I feel like that's a little more on Gutekunst's side. The two settled at 65, and to get the Packers to agree to come off the hard first-round pick, the Jets agreed to switch spots in the first round this year with Green Bay jumping from 15 to 13 and New York going down two slots, which equated to giving up a third or high fourth-round pick. Kudikens then agreed to give a fifth-round pick to the Jets for their sixth-rounder to give Douglas another win to take back to his owner. So, they're just... It's funny because that needs to be... That, that, that's clearly a part of this, too. I'm sure Joe Douglas would have been able to do a deal earlier if his owner wasn't being stickler about stuff which you know on one hand it's it's i guess as a jets fan you could say it's good that somebody dug their heels in a little bit but on the other hand this is again a guy that's not even in the meetings it said both gms were uncomfortable with it monday morning gutekunst because he didn't get his hard first rounder douglas because conditions on the first rounder mandate only that rogers stay upright but each guy knew how the other felt and knew the mutual discomfort was a sign that they had reached a fair compromise apparently uh gutekunst called douglas with the final proposal Douglas said, I'm good with it, and he took it to Johnson. Sensing finality, Johnson got excited and signed off on it. Kind of a fun interest insight into the Packers because we never get that. It says, um, Gutekunst told Douglas he'd send the trade papers, then walk back into the draft room, and knowing they had still, finished, uh, still had to finish a contract adjustment with Rodgers, and Rodgers still had to pass a physical, told his scouting directors, John Eric Sullivan, Milt Hendrickson, and John Wojciechowski, if we can get these other parts, I think we have a deal. At which point, the group took a second, then got back to their final look at the drafts, draft class's cornerbacks. <laughs> it's so funny because it's like, the Packers just sound like such a cold, robotic organization, which I do appreciate. But it's like, you hear about the Jets and it's it's cheering and it's, exc- it's so emotional. There's so much cheering. It's like the Packers, he walks in and says what? Well, you know, we got to uh, figure out the paperwork, but it sounds like we might have a deal. And then they took a second. Huh. Okay. And then got back to scouting cornerbacks. <laughs> Meanwhile, Douglas re-entered his draft room in Jersey with a grin on his face and flashed a thumbs up. The room exploded in in applause. We got our quarterback, Douglas told him. It's just such a different thing. Douglas then, once he got the paperwork, whipped out his phone, called Rogers, said, Hey, bud, it's done. You're a Jet. It's amazing that he just one call went straight through. It's crazy. Must have got lucky. But anyways, again, it's a... Fun article just to be able to see behind the scenes. I mean, it's it's on, on on a sort of macro level, we know all the information. It is fun to see some of the behind the scenes workings, how it all came to be. But at the end of the day, deal's done. I think the Packers and Jets both got what they wanted. I think everybody's pretty excited about the compensation. Jets fans excited that their compensation is Aaron Rodgers. 
Packers fans with, I mean, just the swap, the second round pick that's already been uh, turned in. And then again, potentially a first round pick next year. The, the only other thought I had was um, I, I had wondered if the insistence on a first round pick for next year could have had implications in terms of like what we've been talking about, how important that would be for Jordan Love, both if he's good and if he's bad. But at the same time, I didn't really read anything in the article that made it sound like they insisted on next year's first. It sounds like they initially insisted on this year's first, came off of that, and then insisted on, well, then we better get next year's first, and then somewhat came off of that with the potential for that first becoming a second if Rodgers gets hurt, which obviously, let's be completely honest, that's entirely fair. If the guy doesn't even play for almost half the season, you know, (laughs) maybe we'll take it down to a second round pick if you only get him for a half a year. Plus, you know, the other second and the swapping and whatnot. Oh, and taking the contract off our hands. Thank you for paying for that. Anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. You guys have yourselves a good rest of your day. I'll talk to you later tonight, I guess. Have a good one. Bye-bye.